Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord and say to him, Take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. We will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall go out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let them let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we approach your word this evening, as we look at your, your prophet Hosea and the words that he spoke to your people Israel, Lord, it's, it's our prayer that we would be able to, to understand this passage. Lord, that you would allow it to uh, go forth with power, that we would be able to receive your word with faith. Lord, that you would transform us by means of your living word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I was able to uh, speak with a pastor who was a pastor of a, a Reformed congregation, a conservative Reformed church. And uh, this minister told me about there, how there was a man in the congregation who came up to him uh, after one Sunday morning when he got done preaching and told the pastor that we ought not be talking about sin from the pulpit. Uh, he said that what we need to do is we need to bring people in with the, with the goodness and love of Christ. We need to, to woo them in with the benefits of the gospel and then have them commit themselves to the church. And then down the road, what we need to do is tell them about how they have sin, how they need to repent, and their lives need to be changed. And um, needless to say, that, that pastor responded and said, well, we're we're going to preach about sin and we're preaching about it next Sunday and that's how we're going to do it. But I think that that attitude of wanting to, to shy away from talk about repentance, to shy away from talk about sin, that is a, an ever-present ever temptation for the church. And that's because we, we do not like to be told that we're wrong. We don't like to be told that we're sinful. We don't like to be told that we need to amend our ways. And yet that is exactly what the people of God need most, because if we know our hearts, we know how easily they do go astray. The prophet Hosea is preaching a message of repentance uh, for the people of Israel. He is calling Israel back from their backsliding. And if you've 
been with us on our, on our Sunday morning uh, Sunday school studies through Amos, you'll see that there's actually quite a few uh, similarities between the prophet Hosea and the prophet Amos. And that's because the prophet Hosea is uh, prophesying to the, to the northern tribes of, of the people of God, just like Amos did. And he's doing so just uh, a few years after Amos prophesied. So Hosea is prophesying uh, after Amos, who was in about 760 B.C., uh, but Hosea is prophesying still before the, uh, the fall of the northern tribes. And this is during a time when the people of God are enjoying a great deal of prosperity. Uh, they've been able to uh, have many different deals where they've been able to be prosperous with their, with their trade. And yet it has also been a time of great sin. There has been uh, rampant idolatry, uh, idol worship at different idol shrines throughout the northern tribes. And Hosea has some very harsh words uh, for the people of God. He's perhaps uh, most well known for being the prophet who took the wife of Hordom, who exhibited before the people what it looks like for a faithful husband to take an unfaithful bride. And while he has many harsh words, he ends with words of hope. And that's what we have here in chapter 14. Uh, what I want us to look at this, this evening is three different, three different points. Uh, verses 1 to 3 would be repentance. Verses 4 through 8 would be restoration. And then finally, verse 9 would be reading. So repentance, restoration, and reading. And the doctrine I want to set before us this evening for the text is this. God commands his people to repent of backsliding and to return to him, promising spiritual blessing and renewal to those who obey. I'll say it one more time. God commands his people to repent of backsliding and return to him, promising spiritual blessing and renewal to those who obey. So with that, let's, let's turn to our first point, the, the repentance. Verses 1 to 3. He begins and he says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. You have stumbled because of your iniquity. As I've already said, the people of God were engaged in uh, quite a bit of sin. Uh, we find out later on in verse 3, as well as in uh, chapter 5, verse 13, that during this time when the northern tribe was fleeing away from God, was sliding into sin, uh, they went to Assyria, which was the uh, superpower of the world at that time. And they ran to Assyria, and they actually paid Assyria for protection. We find that in Hosea 5.13, when the prophet says, When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal your wound." So they had uh, fallen in and they had begun to try to pay Assyria to bring about protection for the people. We also know, as I've said, that there is a great deal of idolatry across the land, very many uh, pagan shrines. And the Lord, time and time again, has sent Hosea to the people saying, repent, return. And now once more, at the end of the book of Hosea, we have a final call to return because they've stumbled. And the prophet is uh, 
acting on behalf of the Lord, and the Lord is being extremely gracious. If you see, he says in verse 2, take with you words and return to the Lord. In other words, almost like you would try to teach a child how to apologize, how to uh, offer a good apology. He's saying, these are the words that you need to take before the Lord if you're going to repent. The words are in verse 2, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, We'll pay with bulls the vows of our lips. The people are to offer up this this confession, and it's not it's not merely supposed to be empty words, but rather the the confession, the words that the people speak are supposed to be representative of what's actually going on inside, that they're actually mourning over sin, that they're actually ready to return to the Lord. And they're supposed to bring with them not only a vague confession, but they're also supposed to confess specifically uh, what they have been doing wrong, what, what specific sin they are guilty of. They're supposed to admit that their trust in Assyria for protection was misplaced. He says, Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. What's interesting is if you read through the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord tells his people in Deuteronomy 28 that when they're faithful to him, he will be the one who protects them. He will make sure that their enemies scatter from before their face and they they don't need to worry. He will do it for free as as a loving father, as a good king does for his subjects. And what we find is that Israel said, we don't we don't want the Lord's protection that's free. What we want to do is run to Assyria and pay Assyria to protect us. And if you, if you know anything about the history of the people of God, what's so ironic is the very nation that they're paying for protection is going to be the very nation that decimates the entire northern kingdom. Assyria is not a, a safe bet when it comes to hiring for protection. So Assyria will not save us. Assyria cannot save us. We won't ride on horses. And we'll say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. Throughout the prophets, we we see a common theme that there is a, dare I say it, a stupidity of trusting in idols. Just a a sheer stupidity of, of, of making idols, of trusting idols. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 44, verse 14, I think has a, has a wonderful illustration of this. Here's what he says. Speaking of someone who's engaging in idolatry, he says, he cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak tree and he lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. And he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes it into a god, his idol. And he falls down to it and he worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. Now, for us, we can see the the absurdity of this. 
that someone would take a, a block of wood, they would cut down a tree, half of it they would cook their dinner over, and the other half they would fashion it into an idol that's not able to speak or act or do anything, and they bow down to it and treat it like it's their almighty God. Idolatry surely is stupidity. It is foolishness. But uh, unfortunately, we today are, are not immune to idolatry. And we know that as we examine our hearts. One of the ways that we can examine our hearts and see if there are any idols is, is asking a couple different diagnostic quest- questions, such as, what, what are you afraid of losing more than anything else so that you would leverage all of your resources, all of your time to keep it? What are, you in so, what are you so intent upon gaining so that you will, you will sacrifice everything? You'll sacrifice your obligations to your family. You'll saf- sacrifice money. You'll turn a blind eye to those in need if you can just get that one thing. Or a good old standby for identifying an idol is filling in the blank. If I didn't have this, then I'm not sure life would be worth living. That's, that's how we can identify the idols in our own lives. And we, we know that they can slip in very quietly, but once they take a hold, they're very difficult to root out. Uh, Richard Sibbs was a Puritan in the, in the, late, uh, or in the mid-1600s, and he wrote a, a short little work on the conscience. And he's got a quote that has always stuck with me, just about how at the beginning, when you allow a sin to gain a foothold, It's just something small, but over time it grows and it causes your conscience to become harder and harder. Sib says this, For the heart at first, being tender, will endure nothing, but the least sin will trouble it. As water, when it begins to freeze, will not endure anything. No, not so much as the weight of a pin upon it. But after a while, it will bear the weight of of a cart. If you've ever been around ice, when you first see it freeze over, you can just barely touch it and it'll break. That's what he's saying with putting a pin upon the ice. And that's how many people's conscience is at the beginning. But as more, the more we give ourselves over to idols, the more we give ourselves over to sin, it hardens over so that you could drive a cart over it. And I think we, we know this to be, to be very true. And so one question I want to ask us this evening is, how, how is our conscience? How, how are our hearts this evening? Are they hardened? Are they running after idols? The Lord says we can offer confession and he will forgive. He says later on in verse 3, in you the orphan finds mercy. The prophet is likely bringing up the fact that the orphan finds mercy in the Lord because if we think about the historical situation, the people of God are entering into a time where everything is going to be stripped away from them. Their their rulers, their shrines, their uh, fancy houses that they've built, all of it's going to be taken away. They're going to be led away into exile. They're not going to have anyone to protect them, to care for them just like an orphan would be in the ancient world. No one to protect them. No one to provide for them. We saw earlier on, if you read through the book of Hosea, that the Lord even says in chapter 2, 
that Hosea is to call one of his children Lo-Ami, which means not my people, because they are not my people and I am not your God. They have forsaken the Lord. And when they go away into exile, they are going to need to repent and return and to recognize that they themselves are orphans among the nations and they must return to the Lord. And if they do, they know that they will find mercy because of the character of God. Secondly, let's turn to restoration. He begins in verse 4, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. This healing, this free loving is a, is a conditional promise. The people must repent. The people must put down their idols. They must turn away and turn back to the Lord if they're going to be saved, if they're going to be delivered. And notice that the Lord says when the people of God turn away from their sin and turn to Him, what He's going to do is turn away from His anger and He's going to do nothing but show them goodness and mercy. He will be like dew to the people of Israel, which would have been just brought up thoughts of, of blessing in the minds of the people. Uh, in, a, in a culture where it was very dry, very arid, the blessing of dew upon the land uh, would have been absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Uh, we don't get as excited about dew here in wet Mississippi, but for the original hearers, this is a blessing. He'll be like dew. He'll cause them to blossom. They will take root. His shoots will go out. His beauty will be like the olive. And if you see, what we have is, uh, it mentions Israel in verse 5, and then it says, he, 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 he. And then finally it shifts to they in verse 7. They shall return and dwell beneath. The ESV has my shadow. Uh, but it also has a footnote. The King James Version, I, re- I believe, reads, they shall return and dwell beneath his shadow. And so the question is, if we're talking about Israel in verses 4, 5, and 6, who are we talking about in verse 7? And this is one of those places where the, the ending of Hosea and the ending of the prophet Amos are very similar. This is talking about how the Lord is going to bring about blessing and restoration for his people Israel, and then they themselves are going to be a blessing to the Gentiles. That the Gentiles are going to come in and dwell beneath the shadow of Israel, and they will be fed, they will blossom. It's pointing to the the great uh, promises that the people of God have that are fulfilled in Christ. That in Christ there is, there is one people. That there is the, the one tree where the Gentiles are grafted in and they partake of the blessings, the life-giving blessings of the people. This is, this is good news for the people of God and especially good news for the Gentiles who at one time were not part of the people of God. So that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10... Peter is able to speak to a Gentile audience and say this, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Almost directly taking up the language that Hosea spoke in the early chapters. And so the restoration of of Israel will be the restoration 
of the people of God of the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike. Finally, verse 8, he says, O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? The implied answer is nothing. The Lord has nothing to do with idols. He wants nothing to do with idols. There ought, ought not to be idols among the people. And he reminds them, it is I who answer you and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. The, the fact that the Lord is being compared to this mighty tree, this mighty life-giving tree, we might uh, make a connection to the New Testament and think about John 15, where Jesus himself talks about how he is the true vine. And then the very next thing we see, from me comes your fruit. The Lord is the one who provides for his people, nourishes his people. It all comes from them, or all comes from him, and Israel must return. So let's look lastly at uh, reading before we make a couple of applications. In verse 9, we read, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Hosea has included this final verse at the end of his book. Uh, It's likely that he put this on after he had finished his prophecy. He put it on uh, not simply as a way to read chapter 14, but to read the whole book. That those who are wise are to understand what he has written. And that understanding is more than simply uh, comprehending the message, intellectually assenting to what Hosea is saying but it's taking it in, it's internalizing it, it's responding in faith is what the wise person is supposed to do. But I think we can also particularly read uh, this final call to a wise reading. Uh, We can apply it to chapter 14 in particular. In the sense that a a wise person is going to, again, internalize the message. They themselves are going to respond in faith. And they're going to read it for themselves. They're going to apply it to their own situation. I remember speaking with a, a believer who shared that when they, were, when they were younger, they would read through the book of Proverbs. And any time that they came across somebody who was the wise person or the righteous person, that's who they said they were. They, they were the wise person. They were the, the smart person. And uh, the wicked people and the foolish people, that's, that's everybody else in the world, but I'm, I'm the wise person. And then later on, they came to realize, no, I'm actually the one who needs wisdom. Uh, I'm not always wise. I'm not always righteous. And I think there's a, there's a tendency to, to do that, not just with the Proverbs, but with, with all of God's word, to read it and to apply it to everybody else in the world except our own hearts. Hosea does not want us to do that with his final chapter, his final call back to faithfulness and call back from backsliding. Rather, he wants us to apply it each to our own heart so that we will truly be wise, that we will walk in the ways of the Lord. The ways of the Lord being his commandments. And it's interesting, the ways of the Lord remain the same. It's the same way, it's the same commandment. But depending on how one approaches the commandment is going to alter 
what is going to happen to them. So that the person who approaches the commandment of God and receives it with faith, there will be blessing. The person who re- comes to the commandment of God and says, that's not for me or that's, that has no place in my life, there'll be, there'll be disobe- or there will be curse rather than blessing. The same goes for this final chapter of Hosea. We are to approach it for ourselves and respond in faith. So allow me to close with a few few applications. The first would be uh, hope for the backsliding Christian. As we as we near the uh, Christmas holiday and as we near the new year, it's often a good time for reflection, for looking back on the past year, looking back on 2021, and asking ourselves, how how have we done? Have we made progress in the Christian faith? Are, are we advancing forward or are we sliding back? How, how goes it with our soul? And if you look back on your life over the past year and you see that there has been backsliding, you see that idols have crept in, you see that uh, perhaps your conscience is not as tender as it used to be, there is hope. The prophet tells you to take words and go before the Lord in repentance and you will be received graciously. But we also have a, a word of encouragement, even from the New Testament. When the, when the risen Christ is speaking to the church in Laodicea, he says this, 319, Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I think most of us have heard this applied in various various contexts where it's an evangelistic call, an evangelistic call to open up the door of your heart and then Jesus will come in. But much like Hosea chapter 14, this is not a call just to the unconverted world. It is a call to the church. It is a call to the elect people of God who have backslidden. And it is the risen Lord saying, repent, turn back. And I will come in, and what will there be? There will be restored fellowship and blessing, just like Hosea is promising here. And that is, that is a promise that stands for any, within the, for any within the church. So there's hope for backsliding. The second application point would be a warning for backsliding. And the warning would be if you examine your heart and you you look back on the past year and you see that there has been backsliding, do not stay there. Don't push it. Don't just leave it and allow your conscience to harden further. Uh, A game that my family and I have got fond memories of us playing is uh, is the game Jenga. And if you're familiar with the game, it is... Uh, a game where there's little little rectangular blocks. They're about three wide, and you build it up about 25 tall. And the object of the game is to take out different blocks and then put it on top and see how far you can build it up without the tower falling. And the person who causes the tower to fall loses. And at the beginning, people pull blocks out of the middle, and then it starts to get a little bit wobbly. But by the end of the game, the only thing that's really left are the foundational blocks. And 
Every once in a while, you get a person who really wants to show off and show that they can pull the bottom block out and not have the tower fall. And I, I have very often, I was the person who wanted to pull out that bottom block. And I, I have many memories of family members telling me, don't push it. Don't push it because it's going to fall. In the Christian life, you don't want to push it. When you're dealing with your faith, we we don't want to pull any blocks out. We don't want to mess up the tower at all. There's a pastor in the the mid to late 1800s named uh, William Plummer who said this, He who is determined to see how far he may decline in religion and yet be restored will lose his soul. His words are, "Don't, don't push it. Don't mess around with it. So if you recognize that you're backsliding, return now. Don't push it. And then third and finally, if let's say that uh, neither of those situations really really fit your uh, current place in life, you recognize, no, I, I don't have any unrepentant sin going on. I'm not backsliding. Um, what, what do I need to do? I would leave you with this encouragement. Based on the, on the text of Hosea chapter 14 here, live out your life-giving calling as a Christian. And what I mean by that is not anything extremely fancy, but it would be walk closely with the Lord in His commandments, in the ways of the Lord, and you will find that you are a fruitful Christian. Uh, very, very often we, we underestimate the the fruitfulness and the productivity of just a faithful Christian. Day in, day out, obeying the commandments of Christ, staying close to the Lord, daily prayer. It adds up over the long run. And so it says, you walk closely in the Lord's wisdom and not in your own. You will be a blessing to others. And I'll close with this quote from the words of Jesus in John 15. He says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the ability, the privilege to hear your word. And Lord, thank you that you love us enough to to call us to repentance. And Lord, it is our prayer that we would respond in faith. And Lord, that we would return if we have backslidden, and Lord, that we would live our lives for you, that we would walk in your commandments, that we would seek to stay close to you, and Lord, that you would use us as instruments in your kingdom. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.